0: You're listening to Crosspoint Community Church in LaGrange, Texas podcast. To learn more about Crosspoint Community Church, including service times and how you can connect, please visit CrosspointChurchTX.org. Listen, i got to catch a plane in a little bit, so we're going to talk fast. Can you all hear me okay? No? Awesome? Great. It is on. Hello, hello, hello. Let me turn it off now. Hello. One, two, three, four. Y'all talk amongst yourselves, and then we'll get church started here in a little bit, okay? There we go. I needed to clear my voice. Anyway, I got, I'm going to get on a plane here in a little bit where a uh, few of us... From here and then from Denver and Dallas, we're connecting and we're going to go to the image that we've adopted right before COVID hit. It's because of COVID, obviously. And so we'll be at the orphanage. Saint James is the book that we're going to be in. And so um, James is a book that was written by James. And he was the brother to Jesus, and we'll talk a little bit about that together. But we are practicing again how to not how to take baths together, but we're learning how to look at scripture, observe what God has put in it, begin to apply it to our lives, and then prayerfully begin to allow God to germinate what he's teaching us and showing us through God's Word. So the first part that we're going to do is we're going to read through Scripture, and I have four different translations for you. One is the New Living Translation, which I normally read out of and we'll dig into a little bit. We'll also read out of the Message, and we will also read out of, I've given you two new ones this week. We're going to read out of the Amplified and the um, ESV, the English Standard Version. So we're in James chapter 1. And we're going to look at verses 19 through 27. I won't read fully out of all those translations for that. I'll just read out of 19 through 21 just so you can kind of see the difference. But here's what it says in James chapter 1, verses 19 through 27 in the New Living Translation. It says this, Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, you must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. So get rid of all of the filth and evil of your life. do accept the word of God that He has planted in your hearts, for it has the power to save your souls. Don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey, it is like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself you walk away and forget what you look like. But if you into the law that lets you free, if you do what it says and don't forget what you've heard, God will thank you for doing it. If you claim to be religious, Sorry. Oh, there we go. I can already tell it's different. (laughs) Now, reading out of the message, starting verse 19, post all this at all the intersections. Post this at all the intersections, dear friends. Lead with your ears. Follow up with your tongue and let anger straggle along in the rear. You see? completely different. Now remember the message is written by Eugene Peterson. He's a pastor who knows Hebrew and Greek and Aramaic and he's writing this to his fourth grade daughter, third and fourth grade daughter, okay? God's righteousness doesn't grow from human anger, so throw all spoiled virtue and cancerous evil in the garbage. In simple humility, let our gardener, God, landscape you with the word, making a salvation garden of your life. Some beautiful imagery coming out of that. All right. And now I'm going to read out of the Amplified Version, which is a, um, it's a translation, but it's kind of an idea for an idea translation. It says, understand this, my beloved brothers and sisters. Let everyone be quick to hear. Be a careful, thoughtful listener. Slow to speak. A speaker of carefully chosen words. And slow to anger. That is patient, reflective, and forgiving. For the resentful, deep-seated anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God, that standard of behavior which he requires from us. So get rid of all uncleanness and all that remains of wickedness. And with a humble spirit, receive the word of God, which is implanted, actually rooted in your heart, which is able to save your lives. One of the things I like about the Amplified Bible is this idea for idea, but he also puts in parentheses Um, some of the deeper meanings and so he's bringing out to you what the original language uh, the intent of some of the original languages doesn't always come across in English all right and then the last one this is pretty much word for word from the Greek know this my beloved brothers let every person be quick to hear slow to speak slow to anger for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. So there you go. At your own home, as you're doing this, take those different translations begin to read through them. Again, you can use those uh, if you have you version on your, your phone or um, if you go to Bible.com, that'll pull up version and all different kinds. You can go to BibleGateway.com. And it's got a whole bunch of different translations. You can go to blueletterbible.com, and it's got a whole bunch of different translations and also some commentaries and some dictionaries. And I think on the soap handout, I gave you some of those different things. And so all of those things are free. There's one that that um, that I use that's called Logos, L-O-G-O-S. And if you just want to spend a whole lot of money, um, Logos is the place to go, all right, for all kinds of different stuff. But um, so here we go. So who wrote the book of James? It's James. And he is the half-brother of Jesus, all right? And so he was also not only the half-brother of Jesus, but he was also the lead pastor at the church in Jerusalem. So imagine James grew up in the house with Jesus, saw Jesus growing up. He was younger than him, obviously, but got to see him live and, and do the things that he did. And he was actually would have followed along. It looks like Mary and the brothers... Um, followed along with jesus sometimes throughout his ministry and were a part of his ministry and then after his death burial and resurrection his entire family became followers of jesus they all said he was the messiah so if anyone would have doubts anyone would have questions james and his family and others would have those questions but all of them and james Wrote this book before 50 A.D., so pretty early on after Jesus' death. And there's persecution happening in in Jerusalem and Rome. He's the lead pastor in Jerusalem. Persecution is happening. Christians are being um, tortured. They're being thrown to the lions um, in the Colosseum. They're being posted on posts and tarred, and they're lighting gardens with Christians. Um, So you can imagine that you count the cost during these days to say yes to Jesus, because it could literally cost you your life. And so within Jerusalem, there is now a dispersion. Those that were Jews, okay, these are most of the first early Christians are Jews that had come to believe that Jesus was the Messiah. And so because of all this persecution, because of what's happening in and around Jerusalem and Roman territory now with Christians, they begin to disperse around. And so James who probably had a pretty good congregation, is beginning to see people disperse and go where they can find safety um, outside of some of these areas. And so persecution is there, and so he's writing to, this, to his congregation that has begun to disperse and encourage them. All right? And so I'm going to dig into now, let's observe some of the key words and key ideas And thoughts, and we'll dig deeper into James chapter 1, verses 19 through 27. Okay? So in your Bibles or in your whatever, you might want to just underline, circle, write a little note or whatever. Understand this, and I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, you must be all quick to listen. Now some of the translations say hear, okay, to hear things. And so it's this idea of hearing with empathy and an intent to understand. In other words, we know that you have heard because there's a response. And so here James is talking to people that are being dispersed, and he says, hey, be quick to listen with an intent to understand and slow to speak. It's this old adage of you have two ears and one mouth. And he's also talking about harmony, right, within the community, that there is too many people, if you begin to talk, you begin to, to not listen to each other. You begin to talk over each other, and there's not the community um, that should be. He says, so slow to speak and then slow to get angry. Now, that word for anger or angry carries this idea of a brewing volcano. We've seen it on the news every once in a while. You can see, like, they know that a volcano is about to erupt. You can sometimes see that on people, right, as their redness goes up their face and then at to the top of their head and you know hey they're about to get angry it's also a hothead or explosive like dynamite or one of my favorite images is that you are you become so angry and the words that you speak you actually impale yourself with your own words and by the way that you treat other people you bring harm to yourself in your anger verse 20 human anger The hot-headedness, the explosiveness, does not produce the righteousness God desires. Or does not produce the God-type life. Verse 21. So therefore, then get rid of. Now this is a command. It's it's an imperative. You must, as a follower of Jesus, get rid of. So it's also this true conversion moment, right? And so we're getting rid of our pre-Christian life. And the word there for get rid of, it means to take off, to strip off, to remove your clothes, okay, to get rid of all of the pre-life and all of the moral filth. Now, that word for filth is, is a beautiful word. It's the only time this word is used in the Bible, okay? And its root is found in Zechariah chapter 3, verses 3 through 4. All right, so the root of it is found in Zechariah 3 through through 4. Again, this is not how I would normally preach, okay? So you're just follow along with me. It describes this root of the root word filth, describes the poor dirty garments that Joshua had to discard so that he could wear the priestly garments and enter into the temple. So let me explain that. Here James is saying to, again, he's got a Jewish audience, so they would know this, right? And so James is saying to them, get rid of the poor, dirty garments that you've been living in your life before Christ. Remove those and put on the royal garments of the royal priesthood of Jesus. Because you now are part of the royal priesthood. Peter tells us that, Paul tells us that, that that moment that we say yes to Jesus, the old clothes are gone and we put on some new clothes. And that our tendency is to, we're comfortable with our old clothes, our old garments, our stinky garments... And we don't understand what it means to put on the new garments. And so here James is telling us, the old life is gone. We even say this in baptism. The old life is gone. Now there's a new life and a new person. There's new clothes in Christ. So strip off, get rid of the old moral filth. And that word for filth is earwax. Get rid of the earwax buildup. And... Also get rid of the abundant evil in your lives. And so how do we do that? By humbly accepting this is a posture of receipt willing to learn. A teacher, teachers this past week when kids were coming into class, they probably didn't want them milling around whenever the lecture, whenever the class began. What do they want? They want your students in their seats or in the appropriate places with a posture ready to learn. And so here that's what James is saying is remove the moral filth, remove the the abundance of evil, and receive, get in a posture of learning that the word of God has been planted in your hearts because it has the power to save your souls. Now this idea of being planted into your hearts is this, that literally it's the old heart has been removed and a new heart has been put in. And now with the new heart, there's there's a newness of the heart, and it is powered by the Spirit of God. Because your old heart had been calcified by the moral filth, had been calcified by the abundance of evil. Now that you have new clothes, and you have a new heart, and the new heart actually pumps, and is moving blood, it's moving the nutrients, it's moving oxygen, it's moving the things that you need to live life to the full now, you don't have an old Injured, decaying heart. You have a new, fresh heart. And so it's doing what a new heart would do. And you have, if you talk to anyone that's had a heart transplant, there's a life to them. Things begin to happen differently. And so here James is saying you not only have new clothes, but you have a new heart. And it's powered by the Spirit of God. And that powering by the Spirit of God then enables us to obey God's Word. And it gives us an entirely new being. Even in Romans chapter 2, verses 13 through 15, Paul says this way. For merely listening to the law doesn't make us right with God. It is obeying the law that makes us right in his sight. Even Gentiles who do not have God's written law show that they know his law when they instinctively obey it. Even without having heard it. So in other words, even the Gentiles, those who had been outside of the covenant of God, now when they say yes to Jesus, they have a new heart. It's been written on their heart. Verse 15. And they demonstrate this being written on their heart, that God's law is written on their heart, by their own consciousness and thoughts, either accuse them or tell them they are doing right. Verse 22. But don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Again, the doing what it says is an imperative command that hearing requires doing. Gentlemen, if you've been married for any long time and your wife requests something of you and you don't do it, she might say, you haven't heard me, right? Or parents and grandparents, if you have children and you've spoken to them and you said, hey, I would like for you to do such and such And they don't do it. Your response is, you haven't listened to me. You haven't heard me. It hasn't taken root and you haven't responded. This is what James is telling us is that whenever we hear God's word, there should be action. There should be a response to it because it's life-giving. He follows it up. He says, do what it says. And he says, otherwise... You are only fooling yourselves. This is a math term. He says basically you've miscalculated. You've had false reasoning. You've had bad math. Faith minus actions does not equal saving faith. Faith minus actions does not equal saving faith. And we'll talk a little bit more about that here in just a second. Jesus said it like this in Luke 11:28. 28. Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. In other words, we, we're in a spirit of receiving teaching, and then we go and do it. You could have a student that sits in the classroom and they take all this. Again, it's this idea of that we are trying to receive A's in class, not a pass or a fail, or we're not auditing the course. Because if you audit the course, you're just going to show up and and it. You're just there. You're saying that you're going to retain knowledge, but just human nature is most of the time we don't put in the effort to the reading and all the different work that could possibly be done. Pass, fail. You're like, I'm going to do just enough to get the to not get the F and to get the P, which means it's a 69.999. You're good to go. But if you're trying to get a grade, a 69 or a 70 is not, or maybe it is, but for many, it's not good enough. You desire to receive an A or the highest possible grade. And so here James is using that kind of language. And he says, if you're not, if you're hearing and you're not obeying, then you're just auditing the course. Verse 23. For if you listen to the word and don't obey, it's like glancing at your birth face. In other words, the face that you've been given, your natural self, the face that you received in Genesis. For if you listen to the word of God and don't obey, it's like glancing at your birth face in a mirror. And in those days, a mirror was a polished piece of metal like bronze or copper. Some, if you had a lot of money, it would have been silver and it would have given a poor reflection, right? So if you you look in a mirror like that and you walk away, you see yourself and walk away and forget what you look like. Now, listen, if you're like me. You're just like looking, making sure nothing's really out of place, which is not a whole lot. And you just go. And you're you're thankful to forget what you look like. But we live in a day and age where you see mirrors now where they have lighting all around them. And they have lighting around. And we have these mirrors that are like 5,000 times magnification, which is just scary to me to look at. And you can see every little flaw and imperfection in your face. And here's... The thing that, that James is drawing on is in those days they would have a mirror. And if you just kind of quickly glanced and move on, because of the poor reflection getting back, you are not you maybe see some of the warts and all, but you kind of just move forward. But James is saying that we should look carefully, literally stoop over or bend over. Because in those days, the mirrors, most of the time out of copper, or brass or silver, were actually more like a coffee table. And so here James is saying, when you look in the mirror, bend over, stoop over, get close, and look with an intention of finding things that need to be fixed. Not just a quick glance. So here James is saying, look carefully, bend over, stoop over into the perfect law. If saying again, James is talking to Jewish people that have said yes to Jesus as the Messiah. And so... The law, practicing the law was still a big part of their life. They were going to observe the things of the law. One, because it was practical, but also it's just how they grew up. And so James is reminding them though that their attention is not to the law, but to the perfected law and that Jesus came to fulfill it and he completed it. And so he's saying, listen, that we are a perfect spin, bend over and look into the perfect law that Christ has fulfilled that gives us freedom. That the chains are broken. That if we don't meet every 638 laws, we break one or miss one, then we can still have freedom in Christ. But if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, God will bless you for doing it. That knowing and living out the gospel life, despite the circumstances, is the hashtag blessed life. I'm pretty sure James would have had a hashtag blessed life. Sir, don't you think? Yeah. Okay. Wake up. So let's jump over to Galatians. If you have your Bibles, jump over there. I don't think it's going to be on the screen. Okay. So I'll read it to you. It's a couple of verses in Galatians chapter 5. If you don't have your Bibles or whatever, just write it in your notes. And so here Paul is talking about the blessed life, the hashtag blessed life. And he's talking about the perfect law being freedom. And it says this in Galatians chapter five, verse one. So Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up or yoked. Some of your translations will say yoked. Don't get yoked again in the slavery to the law or to the old law. In other words, when you've said yes to Jesus, you've been set free And the teachings of Christ, the perfect law set you free, and you don't have to go back and try to keep up with all the 638 edicts in those ways. That your law under the new commandments of Christ is to love God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind, and to love your neighbor as you love yourself. And the yoke is teaching. So when we have a tendency to think of yoke, we think of farmer and the oxen, and they would put a yoke on, which is true. There's a, a yoke on them, and that yoke is heavy, and it keeps them in direction. It gives them guidance, but it also is teaching. And so Jesus would continually say, listen, the religious teachers of the day, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and all the priests and stuff, they are putting a yoke on you. They are putting a teaching on you that is burdensome, that no one can keep the law. No one can keep the law. Completely perfect. And so now here in Jesus, he has given us a fulfillment of the law, the completed law. And it's a new yoke. It's a new teaching. And his burden is light. Because it's grace. Amazed by the grace that he's given us in himself and his life perfected. Verse 16. Of Galatians chapter 5. So I say then, because your yoke is light, so I say, let the Holy Spirit then guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what the sinful nature craves. Verse 19. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. And it tells us what those are. Then jump down to verse 22 and 23 of Galatians 5. And it says, but the Holy Spirit... Produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against these things there is no law. In other words, whenever the gospel... Is implanted in you. Whenever the word of God is implanted into you, it begins to transform your heart, begins to transform your eyes, begins to transform how we love, and the fruit that is then produced from us. That the fruit that's produced from within us is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, not these other things. And so here James is telling us continually be receiving of the truth of God and grow in it and mature in it and live it out. And the way that we'll see it is in your obedience and by the love that you love, the way that you have peace, the way that you have patience, instead of the way that you get angry. And the way that you don't care for others. And so here James is drawing a distinction. Imagine... If you will, that the Jews are being dispersed and they're being in different places and it's human nature under persecution to remain quiet. And so here James is encouraging his congregation as they're being dispersed, as they're being persecuted, don't just receive teaching and hide, but live it out. Count the cost. It may cost you your life, but it is worth it. The Word of God has been planted within you. It's your imperative command of your life that's been transformed to live it out, even if it costs you your life. Jump back to James 1, verse 26. For if you claim to be religious or doers of the Word, but don't control your tongue... You're fooling yourselves. Again, that idea of you've miscalculated the math problem is wrong and your religion is worthless. In other words, we probably should cover our mouths more often. For the things that we say, the things that we say and we shouldn't. How many times we say something about someone else that we shouldn't, but it makes us feel good while we're pushing them down. Verse 27, for pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress. Now to us, we think, okay, that sounds pretty easy, but listen, in those days, if you were a widow or an orphan, you were completely vulnerable. And so if you were a widow and you didn't have a husband, then how did you provide for yourself and for your family? I'll leave that to you to figure out if you're an orphan and you're hungry and you're doing what you can possibly do to put food into your mouth. You will do anything you can possibly do to care for yourself and in some ways end up in the same place that the widows would to do whatever you could possibly do to earn To care for yourself or to care for your kids. And so James is saying, listen, if you can walk by an orphan and you can walk by a widow, you can walk by somebody that has to do some of the things that they have to do to provide for themselves and your religion doesn't move your heart to care for them, then you've miscalculated. You've miscalculated. And then also refusing to let the world corrupt you. You've taken off your old clothes. You have new high priestly clothes. Someone who's dressed in high priestly clothes, that they've gone to the cleaners, they've been pressed, they're looking good, they're going to the fine places. If you're dressed like that, you don't go to those other places anymore. Because you have a higher calling. The things that once used to give you worth and value don't give you worth and value anymore because the new clothes that Christ has robed you in are the perfect, complete clothes. So here James is saying, for those of us that claim to be followers of Jesus, that claim to be religious, we should listen more and probably talk a lot less. We should be moved by the vulnerability of those around us. And we should watch where we go. should watch where we trace. Internet anyone? You're streaming? High priestly clothes? Walk into those places. You know, now I've been here long enough that many people know who I am, which I love and hate. Because that means if I want a big margarita, y'all are going to judge me. No, I'm kidding. No, you're not. I have to watch my mouth. When I drive, I realize moving from Denver to here, I might see you again at HEB. So if you cut me off, I'm going to have to wave at you and be proud of your driving, (laughs) not educate you. And when you begin to think about how people watch you... Because they're wanting to see in you, if you are living out what you say you believe, then it changes. Because one, you don't want to cause other people to stumble. But even more importantly, you don't want someone to not lean into Jesus because they overhear me talking about somebody. Because they see me not caring for others when I can can step into those places. Whenever they see me or even just myself knowing, am I walking in and doing things that aren't worthy of the calling of Jesus Christ? Not just as a pastor. That's a secondary calling to my calling as a follower of Jesus. And so for us, how do we apply this? It's easy to hide our faith. Live it out. What does this passage mean today to me? It means our faith is to be an active faith. That's why here we talk about love does. We're going to be in actively pursuing our community, the orphans, the widows, whoever, the vulnerable. We want to be in the midst and do what we can to serve. It means that the gospel that transforms us from the inside out affects how we love. And who do we try to impress with our dress? not trying to impress any of you. I'm just trying to be impressed by God, my father. That that's the clothes that I worry about. What do I need to do in response to this passage? Have you said yes to the gospel of Jesus? Or is the yoke of the teachings that you've gathered throughout the years, the things that you've said, have they become a burden to you and not find freedom in Christ? Is the gospel transforming you and me from the inside out? Are the roots of the gospel producing gospel fruit? Is there more love? Is there more peace? Is there more patience? Is there more gentleness? Is there more self-control? And it's not something that we do in our own strength and our own power because the gardener does his work. We just let him do his work. It's surrender. It's completely crazy to think about. Is the gospel transforming my eyesight? Is the gospel transforming who I live for? Do I live more for my peers or more for my father? For us as a community at Crosspoint, I want us to be known for what we do and who we are. That as we move out in the community, that they see people in blue shirts that say love does, or red shirts that say Love does or shirts that say cross or shirts that say whatever. And they see an army of people that are saying, I have had the gospel of Jesus Christ planted in my heart. And because of that, this is the fruit of my life. Is that I see a need and I jump in. My mouth is clamped shut so that my ears can hear your story and know that you're just like me. And know that the clothes that I wear are not my clothes. And they're not my clothes to impress you. But they're clothes that my father gave me. And I wear them with great joy. Because I don't deserve them. But they're mine in him. Let's pray together. Father this morning many of us. Got dressed and spent time in the mirror. Worrying about what other people might think about a hair out of place or a hair changing color or the clothes that we wear. Are they going to be good enough? Father, I just pray for us that we would. Those things are naturally they're worrisome. I get it. Father, may you put in us a desire to be more impressive to you than to others. And that, Father, what makes us impressive to you is that we've said yes to your son, Jesus. That it's not the things we do, but it's who we are in you. Father, that we can rest in that. And, Father, may we just be a people... That we're not just satisfied with attending church on Sunday, but we want to live it out on Monday and live it out on Tuesday. Father, we want to make an impact for the kingdom of Christ. Father, it's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us for the Crosspoint Community Church podcast. It is our prayer that this message was encouraging to you as you follow Jesus. For more about Crosspoint Community Church, you can find us online at crosspointchurchtx.org. Have a great week.